Mike Dell's World number 229 for November 10th, 2015. Quit screwing around with that thing. You found Mike Dell's world. And good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever the case may be. This is Mike Dell. And let's see, today is November 10th, as I said at the beginning there, and it's the 40th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And of course, if uh, this was a radio station... I would be uh, playing Gordon Lightfoot's song here, but uh, I can't do that because this is a podcast, and I got uh, enough to talk about that I don't need to play a a long song. So uh, anyway, of course, many of you probably have heard that song by Gordon Lightfoot. Maybe you haven't, but uh, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the Fitzgerald the Edmund Fitzgerald was an American Great Lakes freighter. And, of course, it sank in the storm on Lake Superior on November 10th, 1975, with the loss of the entire crew of 29. Uh, the ship was launched on June 7th, 1958. And for a while, she was the Queen of the Lakes, which is given to the ship uh, that is the largest, uh, the current holder of that, and probably for the foreseeable future, is the Paul A. Tregurtha, which is 1,016 feet long, I think. But uh, there's a whole bunch of the 1,000-footers that they can't even get off the lakes if they wanted to, uh, as far as uh, actually floating them off the lakes. The uh, Fitzgerald would have fit through the St. Lawrence Seaway, I believe. Uh, it was seven, what is it, 700 and, uh, I'm trying to look here. See, I'm kind of just sort of going from memory, and uh, I also have the Wikipedia page up, which I'll have a link to. It's 729 feet uh, long, and like I said, was the largest ship on the, the lakes, uh, I think for a couple of years, I think in 1959, uh, some other ship was built that was slightly longer. And that's how they do it. They keep making them longer and longer. That's why Tregurtha probably will be the uh, longest ship on the Great Lakes for a long time because the uh, the biggest lock currently at the Sioux Locks in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and Ontario, uh, the longest lock is, I think, 1,018 feet, so Tegertha can barely fit in there. And uh, if they can't get into Lake Superior or not a Lake Superior, it doesn't do very well as a Great Lakes freighter, especially hauling uh, iron ore or tactonite. And uh, that's what the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald was uh, carrying. Uh, let's see. Some of the other weird things about uh, the... Uh, Edmund Fitzgerald, it was named after the chairman of the board of, oh, where is it? Uh, Yeah, chairman of the board of 
Uh, what is that? Some insurance company eh, in Milwaukee. Jeez, it was right here. Oh, well, I, I, I'm just flying blind here, so bear with me. But uh, even when it was launched, there was all kinds of little goofy things and, and bad luck things. Uh, when Elizabeth Fitzgerald, wife of Edmund Fitzgerald, tried to christen the ship, you know, when they smashed the bottle on the bow, it took her three attempts, and uh, that's always bad luck. And there was a delay of 36 minutes after, while the shipyard tried to figure out how to re release the keel blocks to uh, get the boat to slide into the water. So, but they did. And uh, on, uh, on September 22nd, 1958, Fitzgerald completed nine days of sea trials. Uh, it was Northwestern Mutual Insurance Company, those keeping score. But, uh, you know, what I remember of it, I was nine years old when it happened. And, of course, it was very, you know, it was very uh, much in the news around here because... You know, we have the Great Lakes freighters uh, going here and there uh, all over the lakes. I don't know how many there are currently on the lakes, but there's there's a bunch. And we see them periodically. Uh, we go up to Sugar Island, of course. We see them at the uh, Sioux Locks as they approach the Sioux Locks from the south or come out of the locks from the north. And we see them in the uh, Straits when we go over the Mackinac Bridge, which we talked about a few days ago. And don't see too many of them in Grand Traverse Bay here, where I live. Uh, not for any real reason other than they, we don't have a lot of shipping in the bay. There's a, one dock in West Bay where uh, they bring in uh, fuel oil and gasoline and whatever. So it's just tanker ships that come in there, and they don't come in very often. Used to be coal ships would come in here uh, back when we had a coal-fired power plant in Traverse City, but uh, we no longer have that, and so there's no coal ships coming in. And then every once in a while when a big storm kicks up, like the, on the night of November 10th, 1975, uh, but uh, I'm sure there were some ships in the bay uh, for that. They, they come in and anchor out of the weather, or at least out of the weather partially, as uh, they can snuggle up to the shoreline on uh, either Leelanau Peninsula side in West Bay or uh, the Old Mission Peninsula side uh, on East Bay. And depending on which way the wind's blowing, but it's mostly blowing out of the Northwest when uh, stuff like that happens. And uh, on the night of the wreck, it was that way. So we don't, like I said, don't see the lo a lot of these ships uh, around here. But like I said, when the weather gets bad, they're in the bay. But a lot of times the visibility is such that, you know, we might see their lights at night. Don't really see them in clear days because on clear days they're going somewhere. They're not uh, hiding out from the weather. But uh, I'm just looking up some of the history of the Fitzgerald. Uh, it could haul 26,000 pounds of cargo, something like that. It had uh, these sealed hatches on the uh, top deck. And it was, it was kind of an odd ship, uh, well, at least odd nowadays. Because uh, her sister ship's still out there, and I can't remember what the name of that ship is. I think it might be the Murray Bay or, or whatever it's named now. They they keep changing the names of these ships, too. 
but uh, her sister ship is out there still going. And it has a forward pilot house. Uh, most of the lake freighters nowadays have the uh, pilot house in the back of the ship instead of on the front. And uh, Fitzgerald was one that had it on the front. So it was one of the last of the old style f- freighters built on the lakes. Uh, had originally coal fire boilers, and they were converted to oil in the 71, 72 winter layup. And they also put a, a, a diesel-powered bow thruster on uh, in 1969 to make it a little more maneuverable. And it's pretty amazing. You see those ships, and, and they can put them exactly where they want them nowadays. And, and it's fun to watch, especially when that bow thruster comes on and the whole thing kind of goes sideways. It's <laughs> it's really neat to watch. But when they're coming up the St. Mary's there by Sugar Island, you Sometimes see them use the bow thruster to get on one side of the the buoy or the other, and and uh, it's a little faster maneuvering than throwing the rudder over to one side. And they don't want to do any big maneuvers in that river anyway. It's uh, kind of skinny there. I mean, it's plenty big for two freighters to pass, but really not uh, not a lot of room for air in there. But uh, let's see. Uh, Looking here, uh, the the uh, Fitzgerald. This was another thing I'd heard, and this is I'm not reading this, but uh, that they kept getting the Coast Guard to up the the uh, total gross weight of the Fitzgerald so that they could continue to have record uh, loads, and it's a world record load that uh, Fitzgerald had on there for a single trip was 27,402 tons. I don't know the difference between long tons and short tons because it says something like uh, 30,690 short tons. So I don't really know what that means, but uh, 700 or 27,402 long tons. And for 17 years, the Fitzgerald carried basically tactonite from Minnesota's iron range near Duluth, Minnesota to ironworks in Detroit or Toledo and other ports. But uh, just like I said, she had uh, seasonal haul records of you know, six different times. And uh, it's like I said, it was quite a ship. But I think the night that it sank, they had it overloaded. They had it. They had it loaded, you know, with what the Coast Guard said it could take. But at some point, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me. At some point, uh, it probably got to be too much. So the night of the the wreck, and I've got this uh, timeline. This was uh, at the SS Edmund Fitzgerald dot org site. The the timeline for the ninth of November. 1975. At 8.30 a.m., the Edmund Fitzgerald was loaded with tactonite pellets in Burlington, at the Burlington Northern Railroad Dock Number 1 in Superior, Wisconsin. That's in the uh, Duluth, uh, Minnesota, Superior area there. And it was supposed to transport that to Zug Island in Detroit, uh, Detroit River. And apparently that's where they feed that stuff into all the iron works down there and probably the Ford Rouge plant and all that where they make uh, 
steel out of uh, iron. And let's see, the Fitzgerald departed at 2.20 p.m. in Lake Superior en route to Detroit, and it had 26,116 tons of taktonite. Uh, at 2.39, the National Weather Service issues a gale warning for the area which the Fitzgerald is sailing in. Captain Cooper on the Anderson radios a, f- a freighter, the Edmund Fitzgerald, that he spots. Uh, Okay, yeah, that's uh, the Arthur M. Anderson's, another ship that was following the Edmund Fitzgerald that whole day. At 4.15 p.m., the Fitzgerald spots the Arthur M. Anderson some 15 miles behind it. Uh, Well, that was on November 9th. Okay, November 10th, uh, 1 a.m., weather report from the Fitzgerald. The report from the Fitzgerald shows her to be 20 miles south of Isle Royal. Winds at 52 knots and the waves 10 feet in height. And Isle Royal is a uh, federal park. It's the uh, furthest north piece of land that's accredited to Michigan, but it's way up north in Lake Superior. Uh, it's so far out you can't see it uh, from any land in Michigan. Of course, you can see it from uh, Ontario, Canada, because <laughs> it's a lot closer to that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, 52 knot wind, that's uh, that's pretty darn good with 10 feet waves. Yeah, the lakes are, are pretty wicked. They're, they're uh, you know, as big as oceans. They're inland seas. So, anyway, 7 a.m. on the 10th, a weather report from the Fitzgerald. Winds are at 35 knots, waves 10 feet. And this is the last weather report that the Edmund Fitzgerald will ever make. Uh, 3.15 p.m., Captain Jesse Cooper of the SS Arthur M. Anderson watches the Fitzgerald round Caribou Island and comments that the Fitzgerald is much closer to Six Fathom Shoal than he would want to be. And Six Fathom Shoal is uh, a famous spot where lots of ships have wrecked, and it's it's there uh, coming into Whitefish Bay, I believe. At 3.20 p.m., Anderson reports wind coming from the northwest at 43 knots. At 3.30 p.m., radio transmission between the Fitzgerald and the Anderson. Uh, Captain McSorley to Captain Cooper. Uh, McSorley says, Anderson, this is Fitzgerald. They have sustained some topside damage. I have a fence rail laid down, two vents lost or damaged. And a list. I'm checking down. Will you stay by me until I get to Whitefish? And uh, the uh, Anderson comes back. Uh, Charlie on the Fitzgerald, do you have your pumps going? And uh, McSorley says, yes, both of them. At 4.10 p.m., the Fitzgerald radios the Arthur M. Anderson requesting radar assistance for the remainder of the voyage. Fitzgerald. Anderson, this is Fitzgerald. I have lost both radars. Can you provide me with radar plots till we reach Whitefish Bay? Charlie, on that, Fitzgerald will keep you advised of position. About 4.39 p.m., the Fitzgerald cannot pick up the Whitefish Point radio beacon. Fitzgerald radios the Coast Guard station in Grand Marais on Channel 16, the emergency channel. Between 4.30 and 5 p.m., the Edmund Fitzgerald calls for any vessel in Whitefish Point area regarding information about the beacon and light at Whitefish Point. They receive an answer 
by the saltwater vessel avatars that the beacon and the light are not operating. Estimated between 5.30 and 6 p.m. Radio transmission between the avatars and the Fitzgerald. Avatars, Fitzgerald, this is avatars. We have whitefish light now, but it's still receiving no beacon. Over. Fitzgerald, I'm very glad to hear it. Avatars, the, wor- the wind is really howling down here. What are the conditions where you are? Fitzgerald, undiscernible, shouts heard by the avatars. Don't let nobody on deck, he's yelling. Uh, what's that, Fitzgerald? Unclear, over. Fitzgerald, I have a bad list. Lost both radars and taking heavy seas over the deck. One of the worst seas I've ever been in. Avatars, if I'm correct, you have two radars. Fitzgerald, they're both gone. Sometime around 7 p.m., the Anderson is struck by two huge waves that put water on the ship 35 feet above the waterline. The waves hit with enough force to push the starboard lifeboat down, damaging the bottom. At 7.10 p.m., this is still on November 10th, radio transmission between the Anderson and the Fitzgerald. The Fitzgerald is still being followed by the Anderson. They are about 10 miles behind the Fitzgerald. Anderson. Fitzgerald, this is the Anderson. Have you checked down? Fitzgerald, yes we have. Anderson. Fitzgerald, we are about 10 miles behind you and gaining about 1.5 miles per hour. Fitzgerald, there is a target 19 miles ahead of us. So the target would be 9 miles ahead of you. Fitzgerald, well I'm going to clear. Or well, am I going to clear? Yes, he is going to pass you on to the west of you. Fitzgerald, well, fine. Anderson, by the way, Fitzgerald, how are you making out with your problem? We're holding our own. Okay, fine, we'll talk to you later. And, uh, of course, they never did speak later. The 29 men on board Fitzgerald will never again speak. I'm reading this from the timeline. And sometime between 7.20 and 7.30. It's estimated is when the... Uh, Ship vanished and sank, and I've got some actual, some actual uh, radio transmissions just after that part in the timeline. When we last had contact with him, the mate had talked to him at about ten minutes after seven, nineteen ten, and he said he was going along fine and no problems. Uh, for the 50-year-old, and they, uh, 
It's passed with negative contact, is that correct? Uh, Roger on that. We tried to call him uh, about six or eight times on uh, emergency FM and emergency FM, and uh, every day we cannot reach.
got that uh, audio off of YouTube and that's uh, pretty powerful stuff. That was the uh, ma- mostly the captain of the Arthur M. Anderson and the uh, Coast Guard Sioux Control, they called it back then. Uh, but now they call it uh, Sector Sioux <laughs> for uh, Sioux St. Marie, Michigan. And of course the Canadians have their, their thing there in, in Sioux, Ontario. Being that uh, that that lock system's right on the border, but uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's been forty years, and uh, Gordon Lightfoot was actually up there at the uh, Shipwreck Museum on Whitefish Point uh, yesterday. He didn't come up. Uh, I guess he has something to do in Canada uh, today, so uh, he was up there yesterday uh, going through the the museum. At one point, they they took a dive on the wreck. It took them a while to find it, but they did eventually find it. And they reproduced the bell, uh, the ship's bell, for the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald. And in 1995, they uh, went down and replaced the original bell. They brought Fitzgerald's bell up, and they put the new one on there. And the new one has the names of the 29 sailors that uh, are buried there at the uh, wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. So, anyway, I hope that was informative and uh, not too drawn out to uh, me reading the uh, timeline there, but uh, just uh, interesting how that uh, all uh, happened back then. And uh, that, uh, it's, I think if it wasn't for Gordon Lightfoot, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. And too bad I can't play that song, but I'm sure if you live anywhere in the... Uh, Midwest United States or uh, the uh, Great Lakes area of Canada, you've probably heard that at least once today. So with that, we'll uh, catch you tomorrow for uh, another episode of Mike Dell's World. Tomorrow's Veterans Day. I don't know if I'm going to do anything special for that, but uh, uh, tomorrow is Veterans Day or Armistice Day. Uh, I think in Canada they call it uh, Remembrance Day, or was that a few days ago? I don't know. The end of World War One happened at 11-11 on uh, the 11th of November, and uh, that's how that holiday became Armistice Day, and then they changed it to Veterans Day at some point. Uh, maybe I'll look up some of that and we'll talk about it uh, tomorrow. Till then, catch you later. <laughs>